Hello and welcome to the April 24th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It's good to have everybody here with me today, and of course, it's always good to be with you. And it's been quite a few days since I have recorded a podcast, and I want to apologize for that. Most of the time, I am able to find at least the energy or to tone down my energy if I am for lack of better terms, manic, I'm able to pull it together and I'm able to hit the record button and plan and dictate what I want to convey to my audience and update everybody on my life, talk about bipolar disorder, talk about the other mental illnesses that we've discussed in great detail. And I've always been able to pull through. But the reason why I've been absent for a few days, and again, it hasn't been an extended period of time. Uh, It's probably more of a reflection on my own feelings in terms of my absence based on the fact that each day that has passed, I've wanted to record, but I couldn't find the energy to do so. And one of the reasons why is because Mr. Joe fell into a pretty deep, dark depression and this depression has been lingering for quite some time as everybody is probably aware while I haven't been laying in bed uh, and and not going to work and sleeping the day away and you know pining away in my room so to speak there have been little moments here and there where I've spoken about my crying spoke about just recently this feeling that I had this horrible, I guess you can call it um, a hole in my heart or that feeling deep in my chest where I kind of just wanted to cry. And one of the mistakes that we oftentimes make when we go to see our doctors, for whatever reason it might be, is we don't fully share all the time how we're feeling. And why we do that is for multiple reasons. Probably one, and I know this for me, it's always been the case with me, is uh, I don't always want to solve things by going on medication. And that's an ignorant way to look at things because this is not, this is not a regular problem. This is not a math problem. This is not a navigate the waters and try to figure out what I need to do in terms of, let's say, restoring a relationship or making up for lost time at work, trying to resolve a conflict at work. The difference is here that we are sick. That's what it comes down to. And I hate to use that word, but we really are. We're mentally ill. The same way that we would be ill is if we had a, 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 a 
battling bronchitis, battling pneumonia, maybe an ear infection, uh, God forbid, diabetes, cancer. We wouldn't just try to solve those problems on our own. We'd go to a doctor, we'd explain the symptoms, we'd talk about it, we'd explore our options, and ultimately we'd be put on a medication. Uh, if I go to see Dr. So-and-so and I say, I have bronchitis, I'm coughing, they listen to my chest and they say, yep, you got a wheeze, probably dealing with a little bit of bronchitis there. I am not going to leave that office until I'm prescribed an antibiotic. And I, I certainly wouldn't leave the office and turn around and say, well, you know what, I'll figure it out. And uh, if I was even there for, let's say, an annual checkup, I wouldn't hide the fact during the annual checkup that I was feeling a certain way from a physical standpoint just because I didn't want to go on medication. But for some reason, a lot of times, especially with bipolar disorder, we have these feelings as to uh, we can make it through possibly without medication. And I got to tell you, it's not the case. Not the case at all. Not the case with bipolar disorder. And I have finally come to terms with that. And there is no reason in the world why I should have to live with depression. Especially when I have found a way in the past to control that depression. I was on, uh, quite some time ago, on a pretty good mixture of medication, cocktail, so to speak, that worked for me. And it wasn't until I was told by a clinician slash therapist slash social worker slash psychologist that I was probably able to fight my bipolar disorder and avoid any symptomatic occurrences just by using my own mind and prayer, I probably would have never come off medication. And while I felt real good upon coming off the first time around, uh, probably because I went into an immediate heightened sense of mania, as the four or five years passed, things got progressively worse, which led me to January of 2018, while I was hurting myself and up in a bedroom, stabbing myself with a pair of scissors and completely out of my mind on the phone with a suicide hotline. And from that point on, with the support of my wife, I went to a doctor and I got on medication and things have definitely drastically changed since then. That doesn't mean we have, an, have uh, ups and downs, but they've been farther, further and further in between in terms of my mood. The duration is certainly not as longer, and the intensity is not as longer. And these are the things that we want to search for in life when we have bipolar disorder, and ultimately those things can only be controlled by medication. So Saturday night, it took a pretty pretty bad turn for the worse in terms of my depression. I was completely gone. I mean, completely out of it. Sunday was even worse. Monday was just as bad. So yesterday I woke up and I said to myself that this is no longer going to continue. I need to get on the cocktail that I was once on. So I, <clears throat> excuse me, I wrote to my doctor and I confirmed with my doctor that the best course of treatment would obviously be to continue my labectal at 200 milligrams and immediately start on a dose of Welbutrin XL at 150 milligrams. 
which is a relatively low dose, but you want to start there. It was actually the dose that helped me in the past. I never had to go beyond 150 milligrams of Welbutrin. As a matter of fact, what it did was two things. It helped with my depression back in the day, and it also stopped me from smoking, believe it or not. And that actually immediately, well, not immediately, about seven days into my treatment with Welbutrin, that immediately took effect, and I still remember the day, 2011, August 13th, was the last time that I smoked a cigarette, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and I stayed on that, stayed on that medicine for quite some time, up until about, well, not really, it was only a little over a year, maybe by 2012, late in the year, possibly 2013, I was off. And again, things have taken a dramatic change for the worse in terms of my depression. It was something that I thought I could control. You just can't. You can't control it. And whether it's a placebo effect, which I don't think in terms of the energy that I have, by no means do I think it's that, because Wellbutrin did the same thing for me last time. I got an immediate burst of energy, as, as far as I can recall, by taking that medication within, within the first day of taking it. It speeds me up, it gets me going, and I have to tell you that that has certainly changed over the last couple of days. I have a tremendous amount of energy, and it's positive energy, real good energy. And whether the placebo effect that I'm talking about as in terms of my heightened happy mood, that has taken a turn. Now, is it possible that I've just cycled? And that's what it comes down to. And I've kind of come out of my depression. It's just coincidental. It's possible. I don't know. But what I do know is I have the energy now to do a podcast. I have the energy to wake up again early in the morning rather than sit in bed and allow my thoughts to race in my mind and actually not move out of bed and do nothing about my day in terms of getting ready for the day and preparing I woke up today, I had a lot of energy, I was able to shower and shave and eat my breakfast and take my medication and get to work at a decent time. So that's a good thing. So I will now be on this regimen of my new cocktail of medication. It will be the Lamictal and it will be the Welbutrin at 150 milligrams and it will be the low dose of Seroquel at 25 milligrams. Now, what I have to wonder, besides the chemical imbalance that takes place in a person's brain, a lot of times, obviously, we know this with bipolar disorder, stress has a lot to do with the way that we feel and the way that our moods switch and the way that we deal with our moods and and, uh, how long they last and how well we're able to battle through them. And for those of you who have listened to my podcast in the past, you are well aware of the fact that my parents, specifically my mother, is somebody who has caused a great deal of anxiety and stress throughout my life. She's a, she's a person who has been diagnosed, maybe not formally or clinically, but at least by myself and the several doctors that she's come in contact with, although it may not be on a piece of paper, she has been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And uh, and above and beyond all that, she is a functioning, well, I don't even know if the word functioning fits in here. She is a full-blown alcoholic. She has been 
the entire time that I've known her, which is as far as I could remember in terms of understanding and recognizing what she was doing and what was actually in that container while she would cheer me on at a baseball game and she had a big thermos and I thought it was just uh, something to keep her hydrated, but now I know that it was filled with vodka. So at least as far back as I can remember, figure around the age of 12, um, and that does not include the several instances in me growing up where I felt like my life was in danger because I was in a car with my parents and they were driving drunk. I recall those those things very, very well, uh, you know, from the time that I was a very young child, but I did not know the extent of it. I just... I just figured we got into a car and things took a turn for the worse. Uh, I didn't recognize what was going on during the nighttime where the partying would occur, which would ultimately lead to a car ride home from whatever place we had been at. I, I never was able to put two and two together, but now looking back at the age of 12, that's when it all really started. The alcohol and the, the consumption of alcohol for both my parents got increasingly worse when my father retired, and even more so, or before my father retired, upon my marriage and the birth of my first child, Sarah Lee. The relationship between my ex-wife and my mother began to diminish significantly, mainly because my ex-wife had identified the mental illness in my mother before I had had any idea. While I knew she was an alcoholic to some extent, a lot of it I thought was okay. I had engaged in my own partying, my own drinking. I went away to school. I drank six nights a week. None of it mattered to me. I used to hang out with my parents. I used to get high with my parents, drunk with my parents. So until the age of about 26 was when I really started to realize that something wasn't exactly right, but I still partook in the activities. It was not really until I became clean and sober and had to live with my parents the third time around that I saw the dysfunctional behavior that would take place, times where I had to leave the home, found myself in a shelter rather than living under the roof of my parents. It was more comfortable for me to either live in my car while I was taken away from my children and my ex-wife at the time, it was more comforting to me to be in my car, be in a shelter, than to actually live with two alcoholic parents uh, who did many, many sick things and caused many, many fights and continued as a borderline personality disorder person. She would continue to bash people. She would continue to fight people, put people down. Uh, do horrible things, leave horrible messages. So I guess the point is that my mother, while things have been semi-okay over the course of the last, I'd say, six months to a year because I have accepted her back into my life as she promised to make a significant change in the way that she responds or reacts or reaches out to the people that she quote-unquote loves alongside of the fact that she wanted to cut down on our alcohol consumption. Things got a little bit better and an order of protection that I once had against my mother, it was lifted and I never went back to court to reinstate it. And little by little, um, I allowed my father back into my life. They went through a series of events where they almost became divorced. And 
they ended up coming, being back together, and my, my mother kind of chilled out for a while. Now, that doesn't mean that she doesn't cause me a tremendous amount of anxiety, because that emotional abuse that I endured basically my entire life is something that is stressful for me, and something that remains in my mind, and remains in my heart, and I know this, without going on much more of a rant, when I don't call my mother after a period of, let's say, three to five days, I know that in her head, she is being isolated, she is being disrespected, she is not taking into account the fact that I'm a human being and I have work and I have children and I have other responsibilities and that most of the time would produce a very mean, nasty, upsetting message either to my wife or to myself. Not only my ex-wife, but that translated into my new marriage. And until I had a real heart-to-heart with my mother, like I said, about six months to a year ago, and I said, you need to understand that when I'm not around for a couple of days, I got my own thing going on. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. It doesn't mean that I don't care about you. It doesn't mean that I don't want to speak to you. It just means that this is life and this is the part of life where I have to be a parent and a good parent. And I have to support my family. I have to pay child support. I have to support a family that I live with right now, uh, including my, my youngest son, Mickey, my wife who is not working right now. She is on a leave of absence to take care of Mickey. And while she does work from home, she's not making anywhere near what she used to make. So we're working very hard to make ends meet. So not only is my mother a stress for me, but money is a stress for me. And it's a stress for most people. So I am not looking for any sympathy. Probably 75% of my listening audience is not doing too well when it comes to money. And I don't want that to be the case, but it just happens to be the case when we have bipolar disorder for one reason or another. Whether we've blown that money or whether we're just not managing it correctly, that's what seems to happen. So one of the things that led me to believe that my mother was doing better, or at least things could be better in terms of our relationship, was I could go a week or two without calling her, and then I'd pick up the phone and I would check in, and there would be no animosity, there would be no anger. And that would be that. She's still engaged in the same nonsense where it was only good for her if I invited her over and she wasn't up to it, which I can completely understand. She said no. And there were instances where she invited me over because it was good for her. And if I was to tell her no, she would have a little bit of an attitude, give me a little bit of a... Um, you know, the cold shoulder, but whatever, never really, never really turned into much. I will say that. And that led me to believe that things were definitely getting better. The other thing that led me to believe that things were getting better is the alcohol consumption. Now you cannot tell a person who is addicted to drugs or alcohol when and where and how to stop abusing those drugs and alcohol just doesn't work. A person has to get help for themselves, has to want to be better, has to want to get the help themselves. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. I was an alcoholic. I was a full-blown drug addict until the day that I realized that I could no longer live like this, whether you want to call it self-medication or just strictly abuse, until I realized and recognized where I stood in my life 
and that I was a full-blown drug addict, that was the time and the place where I was able to get the help that I need, pursue the help that I needed, and stay clean and sober for the most part with a with a couple of slips slip ups here and there which i've discussed in great detail with my audience now that doesn't give me an excuse that that, that doesn't give me a free pass but um if i want to look at the bright side at least i'm not sitting in my car snorting cocaine and popping pills and um but but, but we still got to be careful we got to monitor ourselves and make sure that it doesn't turn into anything else than it already has and thank goodness it hasn't for me and I remain strong when it comes to my substance and alcohol abuse. So the only way that I can convey to my mother that she would be accepted uh, other than the mental illness aspect and her behavior was I said to her, mom, when you drink, that brings out the very worst in you. Your symptoms, which you don't even believe that you have, in the first place, get increasingly worse. You become meaner, you make impulsive phone calls, you do impulsive things, you say the wrong things, and that is only when alcohol is involved. So I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life. If you want to self-medicate, if you want to drink because you and dad think that, you know, he's retired and this is the way that you want to live your life, then by all means, go ahead. But the moment in the day that that interferes with our relationship, meaning that you treat me or somebody I love like garbage, that is the day that this relationship is over. And she has, for the most part, kept it together. I've, I've heard a few messages in the past where she slurred and sounded ridiculous, and I even reported on a period of time where she took the initiative and tried to change my doctor for me, called her doctor and tried to get me in. And I believe that was part of her little control where she just wanted to monitor me and keep me closer to her. And it is a lot of times a symptom of borderline personality disorder. It's like this, this monopolizing of the relationship just to hoard and oversee somebody that you supposedly love. But at the same token, when they, when they deny your support, then all of a sudden you're the enemy. And this has been my relationship forever with my mother. So for the most part, though, things have been pretty stable. Now, I have been so depressed that my father called me about a week ago asking for my son's soccer schedule. And I might have spoken about this on a previous podcast. And I never got back to him, or at least I didn't get back to him right away. And then my mother called me and left me a message And to be quite honest with everybody, I didn't even listen to it because I was so depressed, so stressed out at work, so not in the mood, mainly because her message was a follow-up message, so I thought, to my father's, which I immediately thought to myself, well, this is not going to be a good message. So you know what? Rather than do what I used to do to myself in the past, which is torture myself and listen to her yell and scream or cry for that matter. Why am I going to put myself through this? I'm not even going to listen to it. Plus, I got an excuse. I don't feel right right now. But what I did, and again, I might have explained this on the last podcast, was I said, if I don't have the energy to call, at least what I got to do is I got to write an email. I'm going to still, they're my parents. I'm going to show them the respect that not they deserve because they don't deserve it. 
to be honest, but I'm going to show them the respect that I want to give as a son of somebody who has two parents that are still alive. Two parents that, in my opinion, are not grandparents, although they define themselves as grandparents. They do nothing other than support my children monetarily, and even that is far and few in between. My mother thinks because she gives ridiculous presents or money that that is what makes her a grandmother. She has never watched my children a day in her life, either because she was too hungover or she was drinking at the time. The one time that I can recall, she did watch my daughter while my son, my older son, was being born. My daughter was suffering from seizures. And while I was in the hospital giving birth, my mother conveyed to me that she was allowing my daughter to jump on a bed. And she wasn't worried about her banging her head again. I mean, it was just so, so, it made me so distraught at the time. And after that, I mean... There was a time when my ex-wife, she was having a difficult time with the pregnancy. She was bleeding. She was probably or, or, or possibly going to lose my older son. We called my mother to help out. And, of course, she would not come through that particular day as well because she was hungover. Uh, so there's been, she's never been a grandmother. She really has not. And although my dad has tried to be a grandfather, he goes to the games and uh, he's always been a supporter of my mother, and I could get that to some extent. While I, my sister uses the word he's a puppet, I completely agree with that. She has dictated his life in every way imaginable. He enables her. He drinks with her. He knows that there's an issue, but yet he is just too scared to deal with it, and he'd rather not deal with it. So he tries to play both sides will pretend, well, not pretend, he does love me and my sister, but he, you know, he will call us, and, and probably most of the time, because my mother demands that he calls. So he plays both sides, and while he's trying to maintain his relationship with his children, he is supporting my mother, who really the support that she requires and needs would be treatment. Treatment with a mental health professional and treatment with alcohol. But none of the above does he go ahead and do. So I kind of lost my train of thought. Oh, well, they were. So again, my mother has never been a grandparent. My father's really never been a grandparent. Um, and that's just the way that it is. And I've accepted it. So what I've realized is my sister and myself, what we do is not for our children. I could understand if my older children, obviously Mickey cannot communicate, although he certainly does when he's around my parents, he cries. He don't even want to go in their arms. But my older children, as well as my niece and my nephew, they don't really want <clears throat> excuse me, any part of my parents. The last thing that my older children remember is being woken up by my mother by a message at 5.30 in the morning while... They were going through a divorce, which never took place. And my father had been trying to purchase a car. And <clears throat> he dealt with a salesperson by the name of Wendy. And he left the number on the computer desk. And my mother had seen it. My father never came home that night. He ended up sleeping his, in his car. And what my older children remember, and this was probably about four or five years ago, was my mother calling up my voicemail at 5.30 in the morning, our answering machine, with me and my wife. Um, this is not my ex-wife. This is me and my wife. 
and my children were sound asleep, and we got all got woken up, and she started screaming and cursing, saying, your dirtbag, disgusting father is out with that, and excuse me for cursing, excuse me, that whore Wendy, I know what he's doing, and you are all the same, and you support him, and you MFs, and this and that, and my children remember that, and they, they, they just don't want to be around it. They don't want to be around the drinking. They're old enough to realize now. And the same is with my niece and my nephew. Nobody really wants to be a part of it. And I don't want my youngest son, Mickey, to grow up dealing with that either. So what I'm starting to realize is whatever I do for the relationship of the, or the, 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 the good of this family is really just serving her. And it's always been that way. No matter what I've done, I've always served that woman. And unfortunately, the repayment or the rebuttal, and I don't even look for repayment, the rebuttal on her end was always disrespecting my wife, disrespecting my ex-wife, disrespecting other people, talking bad, talking about who her enemies were, but at the same time, during the next visit, it would be who her best friends were. And it's ironically... The enemies were the best friends the next time around. It was whoever would listen to her complain and whoever would take her side at that moment in time was her best friend. And those people who called her out on her nonsense, well, they were her enemies. And that's just the way that it goes with my mother. So um, what I've noticed is that the drinking has gotten progressively worse. Um things have gotten worse in terms of that. She is an alcoholic, like I've mentioned, and I never want to deal with her nonsense again, especially when I'm in a state of mind where I'm not really willing, able to, to, to care for myself. And most importantly, I want, I want respect shown to my wife. So anyway, I wrote an email to my parents and I apologized to them for not reaching out. I said that, that my email was basically the only amount of strength that I had. I, I, I found it in the only amount of strength that I found was to write an email. And I actually wrote it during work, uh, because I really had no time. And I apologized. I told them what I was going through, told them it was a little bit of depression and work was very overwhelming and a lot of stuff going on. So, by the way, my son, Mickey, his birthday is tomorrow. He'll be a year old. So, you know, we got a lot of things going on. Now, I wrote that message about 10 a.m. in the morning. And my wife and I, we sat down for dinner that same day. It was about 6 o'clock at night. She was home at a relatively good time or an early time. And we sat down. We put Mickey in his high chair and we started to eat. She made a delicious dinner. I believe it was uh, pasta and broccoli rabe and macaroni. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, sausage. I already said pasta. Pasta and macaroni are the same thing. It depends what nationality you are, how you want to label that. But it was a delicious meal. It's got a, like a little white wine sauce over it, kind of like a, an olive oil, a white sauce, uh, a little vinaigrette, vinaigrette kind of taste. It's just delicious. She makes a delicious meal. And we started to eat, and the phone rang. And with modern technology, obviously, we have caller ID. But we were eating, and I refused to get up and look at who was calling. But 
it didn't take long for us to realize who was calling. Now, keep in mind, again, that I wrote the email at 10 a.m., but clearly my parents did not sign on to their email. And here is what I want you to listen to, and I actually put it on for everybody to analyze, to listen to, and to understand what it is like to deal with somebody who is an alcoholic and somebody who has borderline personality disorder. Now, keep in mind, it's only been a couple of days, maybe a week, that I've talked to my parents, but this is what happens. 5.52 p.m. No one is ever available to take my call. Okay, it's been three weeks now since I've tried to get in touch with my son and you. Okay? I'm tired of the disrespect, all right? It's time for you to wake up and realize that we are grandparents too, okay? That's it. I'm tired of it. Tracking you down and you never calling us back. I wish you all well, but I'm done. I'm done the way you treat me, okay? Have a good time. Bye. Thursday, 6, 31 p.m. Hi, Joey. Uh, we never read your uh, email. I don't know what's going on there. And I don't know why you're telling me to go my fuck myself. I work very hard for my grandchildren. I don't know what you want from me, Joey, but I don't think that was necessary. I just wanted you to know that. I love you. Good night. Thursday, 7, 18 p.m. Hi, uh, Susan and Joey. I call to apologize for the way I was last night. Uh, I'm deeply sorry. And uh, I'm coming off the medication that I went on, the Wellbutrin, and it just screwed me up worse. So, Joey, I think you can understand that, but um, I was really worried about you guys. Okay, I apologize, and I love you, and we'll see you next Saturday. Okay, good night. So, those messages came in a series of obviously three messages. The first two uh, occurred one after another. And obviously the first one, like I had mentioned, was during dinner time. Now, I am not proud of what went on, but after dinner, I ended up calling my mother and I screamed and yelled in the phone. I said, you have no right to speak to me and my wife the way that you have. How dare you? I sent you an email this morning and you can go F yourself. So maybe that'll help you understand why, a little while later, I got a message that said, I don't understand why you told me to go F yourself, (laughs) or F myself. 
I never called my mother back. And the third message was her apologizing. Now, what's important to know is that this is the way that my life has gone. My entire life. This is the way that my mother's relationships have gone her entire life. She has basically isolated herself from every single person in my family. And because of that, unfortunately, I have absolutely no relationship other than with people on my wife's side of the family who, my God, do I adore them. They are the family that I've always wanted, always needed. Unfortunately, my family, my blood relatives are a collection of alcoholics, collection of mentally ill people, but in a way where it's bothersome to me because none of them get the help that they need. I I got first cousins who are are admittingly alcoholics, who have admitted that they self-medicate and they will die with a bottle of wine in their hand. Uh, they all smoke, they all drink, and I, and I don't mean cigarettes, guys, and, you know, please don't take offense to that. They might all smoke cigarettes, but I'm sure some of you are smokers out there, and I get it. It's one of the hardest things to do. It's very, very difficult to quit. I encourage you to try, and believe it or not, Wellbutrin actually helps, so something, but, uh, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I can't tell you to just go on an antidepressant. You got to be careful, speak to your doctors. Um... But, you know, they all drink, they all smoke, they all smoke marijuana. These are people that I no longer have any relationship with. And they're people that my mother has isolated. I have aunts and uncles and first cousins that I have not talked to, spoken with in 20-something years. The third part of that, or that third message that my mother left me was, that was the excuse-making that was the second, the third part. And usually what would go on with my mother is exactly what you guys just heard, a series of three events. Anger, yelling, mad, uh, blame, completely distraught, slurring, if you've heard it correctly in the first message, followed by uh, an apology of some sort, but really not owning it, kind of still placing the blame on that person. I can't believe that you responded in that way. I only meant good and I'm only concerned about you. And why would you yell at me? Which really does do does nothing. I mean, I'm actually embarrassed about the way that I behaved. And then the third part usually comes the apology. And that's the way my entire life has been with my mother. So what is the end result of all of this? Well, my sister has already taken a step because, by the way, my sister was called two days before that and cursed at and yelled at, and this was in person. And my sister had not talked to my mother in only two days. And my mother called and cursed and said that she's eliminated her from her life and how dare she and all these things. And By the way, that third message, what I wanted to say, not only was the apology part of the third stage of what I refer to as borderline personality disorder behavior, is also the excuse making. And while some of it might be true, there are usually excuses that are embedded into the apology. And if you heard correctly, my mother talks about the Wellbutrin that she was coming off of. Well, I got news for everybody. I know for a fact 
because I have discussions with my parents about the medication that they're on. That's my father's Wellbutrin. It's not hers. She was not prescribed that. It's my father's. My mother is already on an antidepressant. She's on Paxil. She has been her entire life. Although she decides how many milligrams she goes up and down and does things on her own and comes off and becomes manic and crazy. And um, she decided to add a regimen of Wellbutrin with her current medication, um, current dosage of, of uh, Paxil. So there is no probable doubt that she sent herself off into a mad state of insanity. But regardless, whether there is Wellbutrin involved, whether there is medication in, uh, changes, this is nothing new. This is the behavior of my mother. So again, my sister has taken the initiative, and I'm going to follow up, and I have not had the strength to do so. But I'm gearing myself up for that phone call. And this is it. This is the final thing. And again, my sister said it. I'm going to follow suit. I'm going to let my mother know that, unfortunately, she has not shown me the ability to behave appropriately. And in order for her to be accepted back into my life and back into the life of my children and to be allowed to even associate herself with my wife, because how dare you insult my wife and talk to my wife? That grandparent dig was the fact that, and I know my mother so well, was the fact that her parents are involved. Her parents are involved because they're great-grandparents and they're family and they're wonderful and they don't look for repayment and they don't count who does what for who. It's all even. Nobody cares about that. So that grandparent dig was, had to do with her parents. But again, I will follow suit with my sister and I will let my mother know and unfortunately, my father is a package deal at this point in time because he is an, an enabler. I will let my mother know that until she addresses her mental health with a qualified professional and not just a family practitioner who will prescribe her any medication she wants, until she resolves that issue and also puts herself into a treatment program for alcohol and stops drinking, she will no longer be allowed to associate with my family and with my children. And it's sad that it's come to this. It's sad, it's sad that I have to threaten. And I made this threat before. And my mother straight out told me, I choose drinking over you. And then, of course, you know, she came around and she quit. She, was, she quit drinking for a year. She went into a deep depression. She dealt with post-acute withdrawal symptoms or syndrome. I mean, it was... She's been up and down her entire life, but here is what I know. And my psychiatrist said the same thing. And I advise everybody, the point of this entire podcast, and, I, and I, I'm very sorry that I shared a lot of Mr. Joe's life, but I thought it was important for you guys to understand what's been going on with me. When you are battling a mental illness or struggling or just living with a mental illness, you have to make sure that you have healthy supports around you. Having people that will bring negativity in your life is only going to make things harder when you are trying to manage your own mental health. So while I know you might have some family members that you are um, concerned about, if they are not doing the right things to help themselves, whether it be with mental illness or whether it would be with substance abuse, and you are trying to better your life and help yourself, then those people are probably not the right people for you to associate with. And in my case, 
It's the two people that created me. That's how serious it is when it comes to taking care of yourself. If you need to eliminate yourself or eliminate your relationship or cease and desist in terms of speaking with somebody because of the way that they are affecting your life and affecting your stress and your mental health, and you need to get the heck out of there. You need to make sure that you are worried about yourself. I have the support of my wife. She is what I need. I would love to say that I wish I had my parents as well, but I don't. And not only do I not have them, they are destroying my life, and I refuse to allow that. And I expect my audience to do the same. So that is the lesson that Mr. Joe has given you today. Therefore, if you are living with a mental health disorder or a mental illness, I want you to continue to work hard. If you love somebody, you care about somebody with a mental illness, I, I urge you to continue to support them as long as they are treating you with respect. And if you are struggling right now with a mental health disorder or a mental illness, I ask you to not give up the fight, keep battling, and soldier on. Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Everybody have a great day, and I will see you again soon.